0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week of the Channel Box interview. Today, we've got Travis Tohill with us, who's animated at just about every big studio you can think of and done VFX, games, feature, all kinds of really, really cool stuff. So today, we're going to be talking to him about his journey starting into animation and moving all the way through the industry. So if you want to talk a little bit about yourself, Travis, uh, I'll give you the floor yeah hey
1: everybody uh, thanks for, for coming um so yeah i'm travis Tohill. um i've been a professional animator for i guess a little over 13 years now i think um and um you know i was originally from nashville tennessee uh and back then being an animator sounded like you know saying you wanted to be an astronaut like it just wasn't going to happen um and this newer online program popped up so i tried out animation mentor um and, and fell in love with the animation. And then I got insanely lucky. And my first job was on a Transformers movie at ILM. Um, so it was right in the deep end. So VFX was my earlier career. I was there for several years and eventually um, got the itch to try feature. Went over and um, was a lead on a couple of films at uh, Real Effects. Um, after that, went back to ILM for a bit, jumped around and did some um, studio development and, and prototyping and kind of under the hood uh animation work which really was great to learn from for a long time uh doing that went over to blue sky for a bit um and uh i've also worked a little bit in commercials and actually worked with Sin uh on a project uh which was great and then um and now over at blizzard uh in games and loving it so um yeah, I've just been really lucky to, to get to
2: dabble in a lot of different areas. That's really cool. Um, I, I love your journey because you've been through everything. Um, we have a bunch of questions. I think some of them are from when you started. So I think sure. um, this would be good, but let me find them because there's so many. Um, I think the, the first one that a lot of people always um, want to know is what was the biggest change um when you worked on a shot a part of a as a part of a team in a studio versus uh, an assignment at AM?
1: I mean I think the biggest difference is the fact that there is a team around you um so I can tell you that you know when I went from school to ILM I wasn't actually ready for that if it had just been me and my skill set alone there's no way I survive or thrive in that process i was in a room of world-class artists uh and i absolutely needed them to be there um and so that was kind of the biggest difference there you know so much of what you do in school um i I expected it to feel more different when i got on the job but then i got there i'm like oh this isn't a supercomputer i have a dell computer here it's a monitor setup like i'm used to a keyboard it's, it's the same thing and i'm in maya and i'm given characters and then you animate and i shoot reference and i plan it and then i get notes i mean it, it, it is the same process um i think you know when you go to dailies it's different than getting a critique at am because it's not um you know when i'm as a I guess I forgot to mention also that I am a mentor at AM and have been for, for a while now and, and love it, but there's a difference when I critique there on the job where at AM, I'm giving you notes, but also educating you on how to execute them. On the job, it's more of, these are the things we need you to fix. And it's up to you to kind of understand how to do that. But that's where having that team around you is, is amazing because if I'm stuck or if I'm not quite seeing it, um, th- my fellow coworkers are a huge resource, so that that's the biggest difference is as a professional, no shot is done on the island. Any any shot that I have in, uh, in my career now is um, not just my talent alone on the screen, you know, and that's why I'm able to do stuff that's better than I would alone in my bedroom.
2: Yeah, that's why also the pandemic is so hard working from oh, home yeah. versus, being at a studio. Yeah,
1: it really is. But even, you know, working at, at Blizzard now, um, you know, from home, we send each other work all the time. I still I, I mean, I just personally think if you are in a room with smart, talented people, uh, if if I can use them to make my work better, I look better. I would be crazy not to do that, you know. And, and so we still do that remotely. We show work uh, there's still nothing that I do that I don't give feedback from my coworkers. Um, so, you know, it's it's been interesting how different it is right now, but also how we're finding ways to make it the same as much as possible too. Yeah,
2: totally. Yeah, for me as well, um, we, both in my previous job and in my current, we just set up small groups and say, hey, anyone has yeah. time for feedback? Or, hey, can you help me with reference? Because I suck at that character. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: We, I mean, we, we do the same thing at work. We, every week, uh, the animation I'm working on overwatch two right now. And every week the animators get together over zoom and slack and anyone that wants feedback just throws their work up and we all spitball on it. And so it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's not the same as being in office. There's some things that actually go a little better and then there's some things that are definitely better collaborating in office. Um, but I'd encourage anyone, you know, it's easy because I have a team that I work with still, but if you're a student who's working on your stuff, I I tell my students all the time, like, um, you know, hit up your fellow students, hit up anybody you can because I mean, hit up grandma, you know, like you're going to be too close to your work and she won't be able to tell you how to solve it, but she'll be able to go, something's weird there and that's enough to help, you know? So, um, yeah, you just always want to make sure, like I said, not, not to be animating on an island
2: animation yeah. is a team sport right
1: absolutely <laughs> yeah. oh absolutely yeah it's you know um and thank goodness because uh you know i i don't think my uh, my work over there would be nearly as good uh if i didn't have it's i love having friends that are better at animation than me because i get to look like i'm almost as good as them you know exactly <laughs> steal
2: knowledge right exactly <laughs> um so a lot, I think a lot of people uh, have asked a similar type of question because you're in cinematics, right? No,
1: and no, I it? actually oh. purposely, I specifically asked to be uh, in the in-game, um, and anim- that was that was what I initially uh, came on board for as a remote uh, animator. I was freelancing for kind of the better part of last year. Um, honestly, I didn't know if I really like games animation, so I did the freelance thing, but I wanted to try in-game just because. If I go to cinematics, they're not and I'm not knocking, the cinematics at Blizzard are incredible, amazing uh, work done there, but it's more similar to what I've done in film in terms of work experience. So um, so yeah, I tried it out Freelance, I was like, oh, I actually love this. So now I'm actually a part of the team. Uh, oh, and hitched my wagon up for the long haul,
0: yeah.
2: Cool, then these kind questions of, are perfect. Oh yeah, sure? go with them.
0: I was gonna say kind of piggyback, piggybacking off of that. Just from my knowledge of working in VFX and games and feature, what are the different approaches and the big things in your mind that you think about animating something in games as opposed to VFX and feature? Because they're very different, what makes a shot good in VFX or makes a shot good in feature, makes a good, uh, animation good in game. So kind of what is your process going through
1: those? Yeah, I think, you know, creatively, I think, the things that make the shot good or, or not good are, p- are pretty universal across the board um, in terms of how I approach coming up with the content I'm going to animate. For me, the the core of everything, and, I, and that's one of the reasons I really enjoy working on Overwatch, um, is because it's a very character-driven game. the The hero personalities of that game are the real driving force. Um, And so for me, whether I'm in VFX or film or game, um, my first thought is to make sure that whatever creative choices I'm making are aligned with who the character is and whatever situation they may be in. Um, Because to me that you can get away with a lot if either a viewer or a player still believes the character they're experiencing that you can, I mean, I'll take that over pristine polish any day. Um, the process can be the core fundamentals of animation are same, the same across the board. So um, just get good at the meat and potatoes, and that will serve you well everywhere. Um, so I'll give you the, the brief differences between the three, I would say, for me, anyways, um, when I'm in animating in VFX, um, my initial, you know, beyond the planning of the shot. Uh, I kind of start in a more spline process. It's still overall pose to pose for me most of the time. If I'm doing something with quadrupeds, it's more layered. Um, but I'm starting with the motion, and that's why I start in spline because you'll have a crazy camera move. If you're working on a Michael Bay film, every camera's spinning in 360 in different directions. Like tracking arcs is like a funny haha joke, you know? Uh, so, so. I start with the motion and I get that working with the camera move. And, and, and because the physicality and the energy and everything matters so much there, the, it's, it's much more movement based initially for me. And then I focus more on cleaning up the posing. When I'm over in feature, it's kind of the reverse of that. I, I work more in stepped. Um, and again, the creative choices, I come from kind of the same place, but obviously you're gonna push and stylize things. And the pose, as a the graphic nature of the pose is more the initial focus, and then I work out the motion. Uh, then I focus on cleaning up the motion between them more. I'm I'm in all of these. I'm thinking about both the whole time, but there's just a little more emphasis emphasis on one of the early part of the process. In games, obviously the biggest differentiator is there's no camera, so it's got to look good from every angle. That was initially the biggest. Um, you know, noticeable difference um, for me in blocking that didn't make as much of a difference because I, I tend to work in a 3d space mindset early on VFX hammered that into me because if you're working on an action sequence where there's every edit is in two, you know, two second shots, really fast, choppy cuts, which happens a lot. I found it was easier to block out that chunk of a fight sequence in one 3d space perspective camera. Drop it into the different cameras and shift the time you need and then clean up to camera. Um, the reason I started doing that was because if there's a note and they change the edit, if I've just animated two seconds here, two seconds here. It's really painful to change that. Whereas if they change a camera. Well, all right, that's fine because I got it working in 3D space. I'll just reclean it up and it makes the motion work over the edits much more seamlessly. So that part of the process was fine, but the polishing in 3D space. Uh, I constantly underestimated how long that would take because you're like, all right, that arc looks great, and you turn the camera a little bit. Oh, that arc sucks, um, and so that takes a while. And then the other difference is making sure you're you're always servicing gameplay. Um, you know, I want nice weighty shifts in weight, you know, in VFX and feature, but if a player presses forward and the character waits shipping back before they get going, that's going to be a very annoying player. It needs to be responsive and need to make sure that, um, you know, it's just like not breaking the character. You don't ever want to break the seamless gameplay experience. Um, So those are kind of the biggest differences. Beyond that, it's all pretty much the same thing, Um, you know? So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I 100% agree with that with the games because... I went from film to games and I was starting with cycles and I was like, oh, this looks great. And then I plug it into the engine and I start playing. I'm like, oh, this is so slow. This is so yeah. delayed. And it took probably two months for me to really hammer down what I was looking for in Maya of what I wanted in the engine of like yeah. plugging it back and forth. Cause I'd be cleaning things up and I'm like, oh, this looks great. And I throw it in. I'd just be like, "Nope, this ain't it. This ain't it. And it was hard. Yeah,
1: and that was another big lesson too is that what goes into the game engine, it doesn't necessarily look the same in the game engine as it does in Maya because, you know, to run a game, uh, especially like what we're working on, where it's running live on different people's computers, the same, you know, um, it compression, there's compression on the animation. So some of the little noodly details you put in might not, they all kind of get softened a little bit um, going through. And so that was where, uh, another part of the process I learned in games is I'm very much a planner. I plan out what I want to do before I get into Maya so that I have a really thorough blueprint. And then I get creative buy-off in that idea. And then I, I just go for it on my blocking and I get it to a pretty good place and I show it. Again. And in games, I learned like, all right, I just kind of need to slap something in there and just see what that's going to do in the game before I put in all that time. So it's it's a little bit different of a workflow as well.
2: Do you still block in stepped for games, or do you also work in the motion, like you said, for VFX? It depends
1: on it depends on what I'm doing. But for the style that Overwatch is, I still start in stepped um, because it is kind of still a little bit more stylized and snappy. Um, you know, it's it's kind of an in between. Like you need all the physicality, but when we can push it and kind of get the snappy squash and stretch kind of stuff going on, we do. Um, so I, I tend to still start in stepped i've gotten an animation that needs those snappy transitions i really like how quickly i can see the feel of that in stepped mode um and it so from my process i plan it out i'm definitely a reference guy you know it gets stylized and pushed after the reference but that's where i kind of find the performance um and then after i've blocked things in I really like finding how to push the timings and get the phrasing and stepped mode makes it really easy to quickly see that
2: yeah that makes sense yeah. for me I don't know how people animate in splines that's every every time I had to animate horses I was crying because my brain just doesn't process it
1: it's you know if you spend a little time in vFx it'll, it'll get drilled into you that's I, I'm actually glad I started in vfx because the foundations of physics and mechanics that you get from that uh, serve you well on every other style you're ever gonna do. Um, so in some ways, I, I kind of think it it would be, I kind of wonder if it would be more challenging to start in stylized animation and then work your way to that. Um, just because stylized animation, it's you're stylizing the realistic. So if you learn that foundation first, I, I almost felt, I've, I'm pretty grateful that I got that kind of foundations to my work early on.
2: It's kind of like learning yeah. gesture drawing, right? Life drawing before you start yeah. making cartoony drawing, right? It's kind of the same oh, thing. Oh, totally, Learn your yeah. basics, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> Picasso's early work was crazy realistic. He exactly. was a master of capturing realism before he decided he was going to put the nose where the ear is. You know? like. Uh, um, so I, I think that's one thing that um, you always make sure when you're stylizing work that it's not a way to hide. Shortcomings in the work, and that you're you're stylizing for a reason. Whatever I'm pushing or pulling things, it's an exaggeration of what's really there. Um, and I think that makes for you know the best super cartoony work is doing that.
2: I think a lot of students are like cartoony. I want to do a cartoony style. It's like no, do like some realistic body mechanics test first, and yeah.
1: then
0: because the cartoony hides a lot, like you said. So sometimes you can I see students that will do that early on, like for first body mechanics, and then. Later on, when they do a more realistic shot, it crumbles because they were hiding a lot of stuff. So yeah, yeah, totally. And
1: I'm not knocking cartoony either. The transition to cartoony was really hard. There's a lot of stuff there that you don't get in the effects. They really are two different challenges. Um, but anytime I hear someone insinuating that one or the other is the easy one, mm-hmm. uh, I'm like, okay, you're probably not good at that one. Yeah. <laughs> <Because>, uh, <laughs> Cause they both really present huge challenges um and to do either of them at the highest level uh is no joke you know so so yeah i i just think um i think there's value in pushing yourself to learning vfx made me better at feature learning feature when i went back to vfx made me better
0: too Actually, one thing how, I was, really oh, oh. was going to say one thing I was really forced to learn whenever I got into VFX was that to see how the entire body's going to work, but only moving one section of like if I'm doing a dinosaur, just moving the torso in spline and getting that to feel great and then being able to go in and then rotate the hips. To do the footfalls and get those footfalls in there. Cause if you're trying to block out the footfalls and then they want you to change what the body's doing, then you're going to have to re-block all of that. So being able to work in sections of the body while still thinking of what everything else is going to do after that mm-hmm. was really, really helpful for me because then I can go into feature more stylized, something like that. And I'm able to see the whole picture, even though I'm just working on certain sections and like, same with doing blocking poses in feature and going back to, VFX I think they really do push off of each other and can help you learn different things.
1: And by the way, I want to apologize if it's coming through. It sounds like a robot's having a fist fight with a dumpster outside my window right now. I don't know what's (laughs) going on out there, Uh, but, uh, but no, I I totally agree. Like I I was, I mean, a dream project for me was I got to work on Jurassic world. And so the first Jurassic park hit when I was nine years old and I thought they found dinosaurs. Um, you know it was just mind-blowing at the time so to get to work on that was great and it is super fun to work on things that are that weighty and, and you get to push all that and I think that's kind of the trick for me I I think holistically about the character early on but one of the things I tell all my students to really focus on is if you can get if you can really understand weight and force and not just rules but understand why these things are happening like when the the hips that rotate Z tilt. You know, the the real thing I drill in all the time to students is if you imagine that's a wooden table and two wooden legs, and you ripped one of those legs out, that side of the table would droop down. It's because gravity's pulling it down and it's being held up by this other leg. That's if you understand it that way rather than the hips are over the left leg, the left side's higher. That's a visual rule, but it's not the why. And and so. That was what was great about animating so many weighty characters is I really learned the why and then how to feel it so that now I know not just to do that, but when to do the tilt and how much and what other things that affects. And once you really get to where you can do that, if you give me a five legged character with three arms and four heads, I'll know how to animate that now because weight is still weight. And so no matter what weird combination it is, um, having those foundations and and being able to kind of understand it and feel it, it it just it makes it where you're not um creatively limited
2: for me that's all dark magic
1: oh I, it, it would it wouldn't be if um that's the thing is it's it feels like dark magic but it's actually super analytical logical stuff it's really um you know, I, I think, and for me, when I was in VFX, the crazy cartoony stuff was the dark magic, you know, um, and, and it all is until you get the experience of doing it. And, um, you know, you get to learn from people that are better at it than, you know, I've worked with people that are better at all these things than I ever will be, which is where you pick it all up, you know?
2: Yeah. But actually, I wanted to ask, how did you prepare slash how your mindset changed when you went from um, VFX to Cartoony and then back? Because, yeah, Cartoony, it's also a whole other monster on its own.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, the transition wasn't easy. Um, You know, I think it took me like a real six months or so to start feeling somewhat competent at it. Oh, I should say it took me six months to not feel like I was terrible at it. You know, it's, it's, it was a years long process to get to where, um, you know, and there's still plenty that I feel like I could strengthen in those areas. But um, I think for me, when I first got to real effects, um, you know, I, I had more experience on high level films than a lot of people in the crew at that time, they were still building out the crew for those, those projects. But I didn't have more experience in cartoony animation. That was not where it was. So um, I think my first couple of shots, I actually had a supervisor. I I put kind of a spline blocking pass in front of him and he was like, why does this feel so real? Um, And they kind of didn't know, you know, he didn't really know what to do with it because I was coming at from such a, a weird Direction uh, compared to most feature work. Um, so it really that understanding of focusing on pose and the graphic nature first. Um, I still animate in a way where I still think in motion the whole time, even in steps when I'm blocking. I'm not just like, oh, I want this pose and then I want this pose and then this. I'm I am thinking about the pose, but I'm thinking about Okay, as I go to this pose, where were parts of the body coming from? What is this called? I I build all that into my blocking. Um, But it was really thinking about um, switching from being stuck to the reality of things and trying to just capture the realistic movement to learning how to do an impression of that movement in a way. Um, And... And figuring out what aspects of the realistic movement matter to keep in there and what things you can either take out or exaggerate. Um, and so, what I eventually realized with features, what I was trying to do was strip away some of the things that aren't needed. You know, whereas in VFX, you want all that dirty detail in there. I'm going to strip away the stuff that's not needed and then exaggerate what's left. And that gives me kind of a more stylized thing. And then the tools like smear frames and things like that, I think a lot of people think those are the goal of cartoony animation and they're not. They're really not at all. Those are, um, if I don't need a smear frame, I don't use it. You know, and I, and I know a lot of students early on can't wait to start, they find reasons to use smear frames or, or the tech or multiples or whatever it is. And that's all technique. The, the only reason you're doing those things is because it's not that I need the smear frames that, I want this timing. And I need either a multiple or a smear frame to not have a visual jump in the spacing. You know, and so those are all techniques for when you've stylized it to a point that it's going to create problems. So you have these other techniques to, to solve. And, and so that was um, again, it was just all about learning how far you could push things and what things to exaggerate, um, and learning a different workflow and 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 then after that, like I was saying, with the physics stuff, doing it enough that you get a feel for it, it's eventually doing this enough you start developing instincts for it as well. Um, so when I'm animating, I'm not thinking Who 12 principles and like all that kind of stuff. That's more the checklist for when there's problems in the work I need to diagnose. And so it just took a while to get that.
2: Yeah, makes sense. I remember um, Ray Ross, who we had a few weeks oh, ago Ray yeah it's amazing uh when I was in his class he said why does a shot have to be cartoony because everyone's like yes let's do cartooning he's like there there has to be a reason why it has to be cartoony and that changed my life and I'm like but does it have to be like why and every time a student comes and says, no I want to do smear frames why do you actually need them and it's like exactly the same that exact same thing you're saying that not all the time you're going to use those tools.
1: I mean, I actively avoid them, you know. I, it's it's not because I don't want to do it, it's just um, I think the ultimate goal of every animator should be that an audience forgets their animators. That's the goal. The, the goal is not to sh- show off your skill. The goal is to have people fall in love with the character and believe that the character is doing everything. Um, and so... If, if I'm watching a movie and I see a smear, like if I'm able to notice the smear frame, it probably wasn't done properly, you know? And, and, and that's, everything is in service of not breaking the spell that you're trying to cast on an audience member. There's a guy I worked with, Rich Quaid, uh, who was an early Pixar guy and was kind of this acting character guru. Um, and he taught me this thing that I, I still go by, it's that, When you start watching a movie, it's like being on a spiral and you're at the outside of the spiral. And so you're in the theater and you're on the outside and you're sitting in, you know, sitting in your chair in the room, the lights are going down and you hear somebody talking like, Oh, I hope they're not going to do that during the movie, whatever it is. And, um, and then as the movie's going, you get further and further into the spiral where you forget the room you're in, you forget all that stuff. And you're just in this, in this story. Um, and that's why we get so mad when someone texts and the light on their phone comes on it pulls you out of the spiral and you it takes you a little while to get back into that place but it's the same thing if something happens on screen that reminds you this is fake and even in cartooning movies like it's not that we believe it's a documentary but the 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 believability the reality of the characters has to stay there and so if you make a choice that breaks that or if you I mean, if you animate in a way that is noticeable, it pulls you out again. And so that to me is, is keeping audiences, or the game players, for that matter, that we were talking about gameplay, keeping them in the spiral, that's that's our job. And then everything else is icing on the cake.
2: I love that. It's is such a great way to put it, because a few days ago, I was having a conversation with a friend, and he was like, because we were talking about motivation, especially now with the pandemic, what motivates you to get up and work and animate? And I told him, I my motivation is to learn. I want to, like right now, that's what I want, to learn every time that I'm doing something. And his motivation um, was to impress. And so I feel like that kind of ties in with that. Because if you're trying to impress, you're not focusing on maybe delivering what, the movie, the game, whatever mm-hmm. needs, but you're oh, I want to make this fantastic so that someone looks at it's like oh, look at that amazing animation, but maybe it's not what the movie needs.
1: Oh, you you are you are talking. You're you're touching on a topic I could rant on for three hours. Um, yeah. So first, I'm gonna tell everybody a great book they should get called The Hidden Tools of Comedy, um, because I think especially in comedic work, a lot of people a lot of animators miss the mark um, on these kind of concepts. And that book is great at explaining. There's a difference between funny and comedic. You know, the goal of a shot is not putting the funny face out. The goal of the shot is you, I, I play comedy scenes and dramatic scenes the same way. You know, I, I just approach it from, this is the situation the character is in. This is who the character is. This is what they would do and how they would do it. And if the writing for the scene is funny, that will make it funnier, you know? um, and And that makes it character driven. You don't, sometimes the funny face or whatever is a part of it, as long as it's an exaggeration of what the character would really do in that situation. What makes it comedic is it's a situation that this character's personality traits are not suited for. That's why I like Larry David, is always funny. He's a guy with, you know, his character really well, encourage your enthusiasm. And then he's in situations that he is terribly suited for. And that's comedy. Um, and then I think part of it too, I think early on, like, I I definitely, I think we all have the tendency you want, you know, like I said, I was telling you guys before we started this animators are 95% insecurity and 5% monstrous ego. And we all want that validation, you know, we all want to hear like, ooh, great job. Ooh, that's awesome work. You know, that's it feels really good. What I learned over the years though is to kind of switch what where I'm taking pride in the job. I I don't, it's nice to hear that my work is good, but I this is gonna sound unromantic, but I don't think animators should think of themselves as artists. I don't think we should think of ourselves as fine artists and that kind of thing. Um, a fine artist is someone that's doing their own thing and then if they get to make money from it, cool. But we're craftsmen, you know, we're, we're more like a carpenter and you have creative, you have both technical skill and creative skills that you are utilizing to, you know, in essence, make a product, but it's it that, doesn't have to be a dirty thing you know it's you're you're servicing the team and the project you're on and if you can think of yourself i take more pride now in how valuable i am to the team and how much i helped get this thing done and done well versus if my soul work in it shines really brightly um and and if you can do that one it makes your career much more satisfying because getting notes that change your shot is much less emotionally destructive that way, um, and then two, you know, I think we just all need to remember that like we're professionals. You know, we need to take prof- pride in not only our artistic work but how we function as professionals. Um, and so, if you hired a carpenter and said, "Hey, uh, I need a table in five days, and I've got a budget of five hundred dollars," and they said, "Yeah, cool." And then on the fifth day, they're like, "Actually, the table was not up to my artistic standards, so I need another five days and another five hundred dollars." You would be livid, that, you know that that carpenter isn't getting a good Yelp review. Um, and as animators, if we get our shot gets approved, and they're like, "Yep, this is what we need. It looks great," and then we get livid, like, "I wanted to polish more." Well, you're not just asking to polish more, you're asking to polish more and get paid for it and delay the schedule of other things. At that point, that's unprofessional, you know? And you're doing what that carpenter was doing. So I, I think what I, I now look a broader, broader picture of it's not just my shots, it's what can I do to get this product over the finish line with the best overall creative result? And if you are smart about where you cut corners, it gives you time and money to put it where it really matters. And you can raise the quality of the project by being smart and strategic. So that's that's the approach I take now. And I think if more animators, when they're younger, can learn that, you, you really learn that stuff when you've been a lead and a supervisor and you see the chess game that gets played on a production. Um, but the sooner you can figure that out, the more valuable you will be, the more uh, supervisors and directors are going to want to have you on the team, the best thing you can do as an animator for having career stability is to be someone that takes problems off of their plates. That's, I mean, as a you know, as an artist, my goal is to keep the audience loving the movie and in it. As a professional, that's my goal, and um, and if you can do that, you end up having a lot more career options. So, like I said, oh, cool. yeah, I could rant on that for three hours, but I'll stop now. <laughs>
2: No, I, I, I love I this think because everyone thinks of animation as this beautiful job where you do whatever you want and everything is amazing. And it's a job. You the are job. working for someone else. You're delivering someone else's vision. You need to make it work.
1: Totally. If you want to do your own personal work and, and, and that's great. Do that. Explore purely from the creative and. You know, but we all need to remember it's not the job, the studio's job to creatively satisfy us. That's, you know, it, it's it's if you're if you're wanting to accept a regular paycheck, then you need to understand you're a professional at that point. And when you're getting paid, your job is to do what you're being paid to do, you know, um, and and that doesn't mean, you know, abusing yourself for the job or anything like that. Um, but. You know, I think that's the contradiction that happens is, um, you know, it, it is an art form. And if you're doing it on your own or with a small team of people and you're all doing it purely for the creative, that's great. But, you know, painters that go, and they're fine artists. Most of them run the risk of never really having an income. You know, um, it's, and if we're, you know, personally, I like having a regular income, you know, so that means, Uh, kind of putting my creative aspirations on the back burner to the needs of the project.
0: Yeah. And that's something that I had to learn a lot the last few years is because, you know, a a mentor of mine was like, if you're looking to be creatively fulfilled through your work, you're setting yourself up for burnout because it's not always going to creatively fulfill you. And he was like, if if you really want to be creatively fulfilled through animation, do it in your off time. Work a part-time job and just do animation on your own. And something you were saying with like going in with the lines of the project is, especially with like smaller studios, a lot of times they make decisions that are budgetary and not exactly artistic of like, sure. you can't make the best rigs out there. So they're limited rigs. And so you have to make creative sacrifices to make the project work. And so if I, as an animator, am like trying to animate this like it's a feature film, it might be quote unquote better, it might not be, but it'll stand out from all the other shots and it'll break the illusion like you're talking about. If my lip sync is wildly different from everybody else's, even if it might read a little bit better, but it's way different than every other shot animated, it's gonna be bad for the project and that's yeah. something that it's it's very important to learn and very hard to learn because you're like I need to do this the best but if your supervisor is like do it this way even if it doesn't match the way you see animation it's very important to do that and it's very hard to train yourself to do that before they ask it like you were saying it's like i i started to having to write down lists of all the notes that my leads and supervisors were telling me so that I could make sure my next shot, I address those notes so that they didn't give me that note so that I was trying to mold my work to fit their vision. And it's hard. It's definitely hard.
1: It's hard. But what I found is when I made this mindset switch, because I'm not, Mm -hmm. I did not understand this perspective when I first got out of school. Mm -hmm. I was very much like, no, they're, they don't get it. They're ruining my vision. Like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was frustrated all the time with notes. I'm like, no, that's, you know. And and then I would do the note and be like, oh, yeah, they're, they're right. That was better. You know, like it's, <laughs> and, and we all, you know, we, we invest so much of ourselves in our work and we get, you don't learn animation if you're not a somewhat intense, passionate person. It's too hard to learn if you don't have that going on a little bit, you know, and so, anybody that learned animation, like whether you think it or not, like you're kind of an intense weirdo. It's in there. All right. Just accept it. It's part of you. Um, and, and that's fun. That's, it can serve you well, but you got to check when you're, you're using that in a productive way. and, And when you're not, um, when I made this perspective switch, I enjoy my career much more now. It makes it much more fun. Um, and again, it's, it's not that I, what I, I'm not saying, don't take pride in your work. And I'm not saying don't push for every project to be as good as it can be. Um, just push for it the, in the right areas, in the right way take, find ways to take pride, not just in the polish of your shots, but in what you contributed creatively to the project, what you contributed to how well the team functioned and how well you got to the finish line. Um, and I still, for pure creative outlet stuff, like I write music, that's what I do on the side. I'll never try and make money from it because I, I get to make as weird as I want and no one has to like it but me and I have that creative outlet, you know? Um, and, and if I don't go into work looking for that or also frustrated with, some of my best work experiences have been on movies that are not loved. <laughs> they're not <laughs> beloved films they're not even good films. And I had an incredible work experience. And then I've been on films that are pretty universally praised and I didn't really enjoy my time on them. And, it, you know, and, and so you just never know with that stuff. Um, and if, you know, if you wrap your identity up too much in what is the, the project that I'm on, what is, you know, this kind of stuff um, you're probably missing out on a lot of fun. Cause I, I know what I'm saying sounds, unromantic and and less inspiring but it, it's it's really not at the end of the day I, I i go to work and i play with robots and dinosaurs like this is crazy it's awesome i, I friggin freaking love it you know but um and it's okay that it's a job sometimes it's a really good job you know and i, and I think we need it to be something different in our heads when we're younger Some in some ways um, and it makes it to where you you kind of miss seeing how awesome it is. Um, so I just think the sooner you can kind of see some of this stuff, the more fun you're going to have.
2: Yeah, that's true. Maybe it's because I come from other industries, so I have experience in other things, but for me, every time someone gives me a note, like even at work, sometimes the producers would come and be like, we're so sorry. You got this note. Like, and I'm like, if i have to change it i have to change it I, like i don't get i'm not emotionally tied to my shots if it's not working it's not working I
1: mean,
2: yeah. i'm i'm not gonna say is. that i
1: don't still like what like i still you know like yeah. i feel it i'll still feel it sometimes then you gotta try and like all right all right, all right. you know it's, but you I'm,
2: do it it's like, it. like yeah, it. yeah it's like oh no i have to change it okay i will change it like what am i gonna do not do it like
1: yeah, yeah. If, you, if you ever want to work yourself out of the industry really quick, start not doing notes. Uh, that'll get you out of a job real fast.
2: Exactly. Wait, yeah. um, hang on, we had a question here that kind of works with this because someone was asking, um, like, how do you find the difference now that you're in games in terms of the turnaround time and if it's a good balance of like quality work while having shorter production time frames that allows you to be more like... Yeah,
1: um, again, it depends on what you're looking for. Some animators really wouldn't enjoy games. Some would absolutely love it. Um, I think when I first got into animation, I, I might not have enjoyed it as much. Um, because there is a difference when you say quality, it's, yeah, you don't get to polish it to the same level. Um, and if you do, it doesn't necessarily come across as polished always in the game engine. Um, you know, so that was a lesson I learned pretty quickly is like, Oh, what I see in Maya is not one-to-one with what I see in the game. Um, and you know, if. If I was just stressing over pure little polishing noodly stuff, I would get frustrated about it. But I, again, I don't look at it that way. And in fact, right, you know, when I was first outsourcing, you know, freelancing for Blizzard, I was purely animating in game stuff for Overwatch and Overwatch 2. Now I'm on um, story missions teams. So, so it's, it's not just animating, but I'm getting to help shape level design and, and narrative design and, and kind of get into the broader creative strokes as well. It's, I'm just in a big old sandbox playing around. Like it's super fun. Um, and then when animation needs to be done in certain areas I jump in and do that. But it's, it's and so now what, what I'm taking pride in quality wise is the overall experience for the player not just each individual piece of animation but, because so much of what we're doing is, is trying to make a satisfying experience and the puzzle of how it all fits together to create that experience. Um, and that is a challenge that I didn't have in films. You know? And so, yeah, if it's purely, if, if pristine polish is your thing, then, then that's not exactly what you're gonna you know, go for. Cinematics would be a better fit than in-game at that point. Um, but it's still very challenging animation wise. And then there is also this logic puzzle challenge to it that I I really enjoy. So again, it's, I think with every situation and every different type of animation and every project, I look for what is, what is the the aspect of this challenge that's kind of unique to the situation I'm in and how can I attack that the most, you know, And, and that's, and then, and again, that's on a personal level, what I might well, but, but the goal is the biggest one is always, what can I do to be the biggest help to the project and the biggest help to the team. Um, and, and that's, again, why I think that perspective is more rewarding, because no matter what type of animation I go do, that need will always be there. Um, and if I'm taking pride in that, then. I get to be really excited. Every contribution that's not just the animation I did in my shot adds to that. So again, that, that shift, um, I, I honestly think I could go work in almost any animated medium and find stuff to get excited about. You know? Um, so that, that's my perspective on it.
2: Uh, so what made you go into games now? Was it that the opportunity arose? Oh, so I know how to English right now. Or was it um, that there was something in games that you were like, oh, this sounds like a lot of teamwork that I would enjoy helping with? I think
1: so much of my career has been an opportunity pops up. I'm kind of like, oh, that sounds interesting. Um, You know, I've been really lucky that for the most part, when I've either moved or gone somewhere else, it's, it's been a, a choice to do so. And that's not always the case. And I've been very fortunate that, that, that I've had those opportunities and that kind of stability or agency to, to choose. But what happened was, um, I had gotten done on Spies in Disguise at Blue Sky. And I had come back from New York to LA. I live in LA now, I've uh, been out here for a while. and um, get away from street tacos so this is home now um and uh yeah and so I I came back and I was just going to take a little time off um which I recommend that's something I didn't do enough when I was younger you know save up your money while you're on projects and when you get little gaps use them mental health man just take the break it's okay I don't take those breaks and go like animate a bunch of my own personal work and, and do all that I take a break Uh, It makes me better on the job. And it is just, I didn't do that for a while. And oof, it'll catch up with you eventually. But um, my buddy, Jeff Engel, who was um, an animator over at Disney, had left there and gone over to Blizzard. And he hit me up and was like, Hey, I heard through the grapevine that you got done with Blue Sky. What are you up to? I was like, I'm just taking some time off. He was like, Well, do you want to freelance for Blizzard for a little bit? And it's like, all right, that sounds interesting. And in my mind, it was going to be like, all right, I'll do this for a few months and just see what that's like, and then I'll go, you know, hit up ILM or somebody and see if there's other films to jump on. Uh, and then I really enjoyed it, and I didn't, I didn't really expect to enjoy it as much as I did. And so that's why I just think, just try stuff. When opportunities pop up, try it. the The game plan I had in my head, honestly, I never thought I'd work in films or anything. I was. I was trying to get good enough to work at a commercial house in Nashville. That was my goal. Um, so this is Dude, all. You
2: finished AM super strong.
1: What <laughs> are like talking about. <laughs> that, that was my goal. I'm telling you, that was my goal. I did not, not. I never thought. I really never thought I'd get to work on a movie or anything. That just didn't feel uh, realistic. You know, you got to hear. This was this is before internet stuff was what it is now. Like it just. it it was a different world in a lot of ways like I I, you know it it just was different Uh, you know I grew up in you know outside of Nashville and and I didn't know any animators I didn't know anybody that ever worked on a movie in any capacity you know it just wasn't really a thing so um, yeah I think when, when things have popped up it just I feel like my very first job shot past my ambitions my very first job you know, was further than I thought I'd ever get, um, and I didn't. I didn't even send a reel to, to Island. Like I, I was at a job fair. Island was there, and I wasn't going to give them a demo reel because why? You know, why would I? No, I'm not going to get a job at Island. And then it turns out they had seen my work through the school, and at and the recruiter I she's like, "Do you like Transformers?" And I literally almost threw up on her. I got really sick at my stomach. My hands were shaking. Like, I just, it was so out of left field. Um, and so that's, you know, I think all of us underestimate our own work. Um, I still don't know why they hired me. I still think it was nuts. Um, but, you know, I, I think none of us are good at assessing our own value or, or any of that. And, and they certainly weren't hiring me based on anything other than just like, well, he has the potential that he might be able to do this. Like, there's no way that they were crazy confident in what I was going to do. So just, you don't know what's going to happen. Send out, just, just go for it. Swing for the fences, let them tell you no. That was a really good lesson there. Like, don't shut yourself down before sending it out there and just trying, you know? And so when opportunities come up now, things like the, the blue sky thing. I would, My friends were like, hey, we got some spots. You want to come on over? I was like, okay, I guess, you know. And, All right, cool. Um, so Island was that way. was, you know, uh, and then the games popped up and it was just kind of, um, honestly, like, let's just go try it out. And then I loved it. And so, and then I felt like a genius uh, when the pandemic hit because, you know, I was already remote working on a video game and people are still playing video games. And like, (laughs) it felt like, you know, I got very, very lucky in that regard. Um, But I just really, I don't know. I just think wherever you think you're going to go, it might be that it really might not be. Um, And I think I'm much happier with the career I've had than the one that I had planned in my head.
2: Yeah, I feel you when I finished AM, my whole plan was so different from where I was going to be. I was going to be, I'm going to aim for a work in my country, and then maybe I'll get to fix animator, and then maybe I can get to feature, and then bam, feature. but Like yeah. what? this? And now who knows where I'll be. Like When people ask, oh, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I personally don't know. I might be animating. I might be doing something else. I don't know. Cause. Yeah anything could happen
1: it's I mean no it's crazy it's um yeah no the last decade of my life is just not at all something that I would have ever thought I would do and I also want to reemphasize too that if you don't come out of school and jump straight into a feature or something kind of like that doesn't mean you failed and you're done like that that is a like, we're just crazy lucky that it happened that way and it didn't have to there are equally talented people that just because of timing or whatever it doesn't work out the same way um and for most animators it doesn't you know i have many friends that that's not how it started and they started on commercials or in, in tv and you know, and 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 i'm not knocking that work either i know a lot of people that have left films to go work in commercials and tv and stuff too so you just don't know. Um, and when you come out, for a lot of people, they don't get a job right away. Um, and it, it's the trajectories are all different, but they're not really deterministic of where you're going to end up. I have many friends that didn't jump into a project like that right away. Uh, and I've had careers Everybody's goes as mine. Um, so I just I just want to reiterate for anyone that's listening. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's a real fluke of Uh, circumstances a lot of
0: times too that makes that stuff happen it's very easy to knock your own skill when it's timing that's the issue because I know just from my experience that obviously I still have a lot of room to grow as an animator I'm always trying to get better but I had a very very promising situation at a big feature studio and I was almost to getting an interview. And I was talking back and forth with recruiters and leads and then blue sky shut down. Yeah. And I got an email that said, Hey, due to blue sky shutting down, we just had a flood of mid to senior animators coming in. We can't continue on with your application. You know, that's just unlucky timing. Like that has nothing to do with my skill because they liked my stuff. It was just bad timing. And I, a lot, I was lucky in that I knew that was the issue and they told me, if they had it just outright ghosted me, I would have been like, oh, am I not good enough? Is this my work? And it's very hard as an animator not to take it personally. Well, when a lot of time, it's just timing.
1: And I'll, I'll tell you too, that insecurity never really goes away. Yeah. Um I still feel like, like I it, I look at my demo reel and I don't love it. Like <laughs> it's just one of <laughs> those things, like you see all the things you wanted the shots to be that they weren't. Yep. And other people... You'll, you can't ever see your work the way other people would. Um, I have shots that I have not put on my reel purposely because I thought they were bad shots. And I have other friends that are, I really trust their opinions. And they're like, no, that's some of the best stuff you've ever done. <laughs> okay, I give up, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I, just, I don't know anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and so you just, you know, I think that imposter syndrome is always there you you um over the years i've learned to not listen to it as much or just trust that like hey i felt this way a lot before and it seems to have worked out then um but i would also say too that you know when you're starting out too it's sometimes a timing things sometimes it is your skill set isn't ready mm-hmm. and that's okay too just, wherever your skill set's at doesn't mean that's where it's gonna be Um, And so I think early on, you know, this is advice for anyone that's in a school program, like an AM. um, The early parts of the the program, they should not be worried about their demo reel at all. It truly doesn't matter. Nothing you do in your first three, four classes, the the first half for sure of AM, nothing's going on the demo reel. If it does, something went really wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not till the last couple of classes that I would start even really thinking that way. The goal the whole time should be to build the skill set. And if you're thinking that way, you're going to pick stuff that pushes you to learn more than stuff you feel like you can nail and make a good demo reel out of. Um, And if if the skill set grows, the demo reel will take care of itself. Um, And I think the same thing is true. When you get out, you've assembled your demo reel. If you're putting it out there and you're not getting nibbles back and or if you get feedback on things that could be improved, then similarly, then the, the goal at that point is to keep working on the skill set. Um, push yourself to get better, not just do a better shot. Um, because again, if you get better, you will be doing better shots. That's, it. to me, that's the underlying um, foundation of, of all of it and and everyone learns at a different trajectory. Some people are ready to go right when they get out of school. Some people need a little more time and that's okay. Um, and and again, I I know many people that have, were like that that then have since gone on to have great careers.
2: Yeah, and the career doesn't matter in terms of the studio. Like the job that I was working with you, which was a freelance for about a month, yeah. I would have stayed with that studio forever if I hadn't gotten other opportunities because it was fun it was great um, yeah. yeah the owner was the best I had yeah. a gr- I learned a lot I was like I don't need to be in a big name studio to feel fulfilled I was like this is great I, another opportunity happened I was like okay bye but yeah, the, no, it doesn't just... mean you made it if you get to the big ones
1: no it's so interesting over the years um and i'm and again if the dream is to be at a disney a pixar an ilm you know work towards that and some people will get there and it is it is a great fit for them you know i live near disney so so many of my close friends are at disney actually got three disney animators coming over tonight for board games uh so yeah um you know they're so i it's i'm not knocking that at all they love it over there they have great careers and and it's a really good fit for them. It's not as good a fit for me. Um, if you had ever told me years ago that I would actually say no to going over to Disney to go work on video games, I would have said, you're nuts. But I did. And like, I would have never dreamed of that happening. Um, and every time a Disney film comes out and it looks gorgeous, yeah, there's a little part of me that's like, oh, that's, oh, gosh, Oh, no, <laughs> cool. You know, but I love what I'm doing and I, and I love, um, the work experience. And so I think, um, you know, I'm not encouraging anyone to run away from big projects, but the name of the project, the name of the studio is not, it doesn't determine how much you're gonna enjoy it or how rewarding it will be for you. Um, and there's a lot of animators that get to that, that place that, and they love it. And there's a lot to get there and like, oh, okay, it's not, it actually isn't quite what I thought it'd be, or I'm not enjoying it the way I thought I would. Um, And so there are many animators, like I said, that have left crazy senior experienced animators that are now just at home before the pandemic, went and started remote working on like commercials. And that fits them better because every few months they're doing something totally different. Uh, There's really good money to be made doing it, you know, and it's a great, uh, it's a lifestyle of flexibility, you know, so it just really depends on each individual what what they want, um, and I think the big goal when you're younger and developing your career is to build a skill set that allows you to keep learning, um, because then you can go do different styles, and then to build a professional reputation of reliability, you know, and and that you're cool to work with, you know. If, if you're not cool to work with, that will end your career as much as anything else. I know amazingly talented animators. That were just not good for the work atmosphere, and they can't find jobs now. You know, um, it's rare, you know, but the upside to that is when you're working in animation, people that are kind of, I, know, I guess, toxic to be around tend to get weeded out. So you work with almost entirely nice people, um, which is great, you know. Um, so, so those are kind of the, the things that if you can be a reliable professional, work hard at your skill set and your craft, and then be cool to work with, you're going to have options. It takes year, several years to like get there to where you have those options. Um, but then, then you kind of get to choose a little more both the type of work you want to do and the lifestyle you want to have.
2: Yeah, well, that kind of goes into one of the questions that we got sent that, uh, what was your advice in terms of is it better to keep working on your skills until you reach the level of the places you want to work on or to go through studio um, to studio? Because um, apparently they know some people who, um, who rushed into getting into the industry and are in places with bad management, poor working conditions just because they wanted to get there instead of keep working on their skills. Um, I don't know what your thoughts and advice around that
1: it's it's a hard question because for one you don't totally know what the experience will be working somewhere before you get there um and then two like we can't discount the fact that you got to pay bills you know at a certain point this is this is not just i'm not just doing this because i love animation i'm also doing it because i got to support myself and my wife you know and so eating is nice yeah, eating is nice, you know, uh, it, they're, they're, you know, money's uh, kind of needed in the, you know, if you're going to not struggle in the world. So it's, there's realities that go along with that. So I think, um, I think if you end up in a situation where you're stuck at a job that you don't like, and that you're not growing or, or able to get the skill set or the demo you need to get to jobs that you would like, then it might be important to find a way to get out of that. But I, I think there are things you learn on the job that you can't learn in school or just practicing. You know, um, it, so I think most of the time there is still something to be learned by a job that you're going to take. There's something there that if you're approaching it the right way, you it will make you better, either as an artist or a professional. Um, so yeah, I just and I think too, like that feeling of waiting until you're ready. So if you just stay in your woodshed for years until you're ready, you know, and and, and until you can jump to Disney, like that's just not the way it's really going to happen most of the time. So and you're not going to feel ready. Um, and I, I tell people all the time, it's like you know, the way I put it to my students is like, Hey, you suck right now. That's cool. It's fine. I did too. All right. And I still feel like I do half the time, but you know, it's, it's just, it's what it is. And, and when I went to ILM as a junior, I didn't feel ready and I really wasn't kind of ready. And then you get thrown in the deep end and you learn to swim, you know, and, and fortunately you got a lot of people that are better at swimming around you kind of hoping you're helping you up when your head falls under the water you know it's 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 just that kind of thing and so i just think we all want to know the path before we have to go down it and you really don't get to Um, you just kind of got to take each situation as it pops up and see if it suits your lifestyle but i I let go of the idea a long time ago that i'm really like kind of totally in control of my career trajectory it's just kind of you get presented these choices and you try to make the best ones when you're there Um, and you try and work I think the goal is to get your skill set strong enough so that when an opportunity pops up you're able to take it you know but you don't really get to determine when or what those opportunities always are and there's something like the, the freelance on overwatch i didn't view that as like the next big opportunity in my career i was like oh that sounds interesting i'll do that for just a few months turns out I was like oh no this is this is what i want to be doing you know um who knew so and and now i'm i'm pumped about it i love it i'm having a great time and it's been really rewarding and i'm learning a ton so yeah i don't know i wish i had a, a better answer for that, other than just to say, don't allow yourself to just be abused in a job. That's, that's not necessary. Um, but also everywhere you go, don't burn a bridge, no matter how bad the job is or whatever, don't burn a bridge on your way out the door. I've had jobs. I really did not like, and never intended to work for that company again. Um, and I still handled it professionally and didn't burn a bridge on the way out the door. Because what you don't know when you're younger is that job. Yeah, cool. There's that studio, but everyone that works there at some point, so many of them disperse out to other places. So whatever reputation you leave at a place, it goes to the rest of the industry, you know, and there's, there's one job that I really did not. I did not ever want to go back to, but I handled it professionally and There have been jobs since where some of the people that I worked with then I found out through the grapevine were a reference that gave me good feedback that let me get into that other job. And I didn't even know that was happening. Um, So good reputation or a bad reputation will follow you. Um, So that's just one thing I would say, even if you're frustrated with your job, handle it professionally. Yeah,
2: I agree. I've had friends recommend me for jobs that i didn't even know and suddenly getting emails but like oh wow thank you for being so nice and i i think that it also goes the same way that you need to be nice to others and be open to not just like i feel like some people not not that many but some people feel more what's the word selfish in terms of animation like for me if i am um, interviewing for a job i wouldn't mind telling, hey, I have these other people who are also working, like, I'm, if I can work with my friends, why wouldn't I do
1: Oh, well, and people don't realize too, it's like, I mean, yeah, my, my friends and I, that we kind of worked together when we were younger, uh, they're all leads and supervisors. And like, we've gotten to the age now where we're, you know, higher up in the industry than we were before. And I'm still kind of like, why do they let all of us idiots like do these jobs? (laughs) Really weird. Um, Like I know how stupid all these people are. Why are what? Um, You know. But and I'm sure they think that about me too. But it's you know, networking and all that kind of stuff. Like I I realize all networking is is just making friends. You know, I, I didn't realize I was networking when I was making friends, but now that's how I get all my jobs now. You know, every opportunity I've gotten when I went to work on Jurassic World, it was because my my buddy Kevin Martel, uh, great animator, great dude, uh, is now a supervisor over at ILM. And I got a Facebook message at like 1 a.m. one night like, hey, you want to come play with dinosaurs? Yes. I love it. <laughs> right. I was like, you know what? Of course. You know, so you just. You know, my buddy Jeff, I had never worked with Jeff. He went from Disney over to Blizzard. We met, we went camping together sometimes through mutual friends and like really hit it off. Never worked together. And he's like, Hey, you want to come work on over? Okay. Um, you just, and that's, and it's, it's just one of those things like everyone you went to school with, I was like, Just be cool with people and be nice, help each other out. You're all going to need it and it will be reciprocated. And then, you know, I tell my students every, day at the end of every term, one of the last things I tell them is like, remember I was cool when I need a job from you. Um, <laughs> cause I've, I've helped former mentors with jobs, you know, it happens. It really, cause at some point you just all become people in the industry. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's just this interesting thing. Like the people that I was so intimidated by early on, you know, I'm like, Oh God, it's Sean Kelly. Oh God. It's a, well, it's Sean now. We text each other, it's Sean, you know, he's just Sean. Same. <laughs> right, yeah. It's just like, it, and all those people that you know they eventually become your co workers and your friends,
2: yeah. Um, and becoming friends because you want to be friends, not because yeah. you're after something. Like, I've had like mentors that are in studios, and my friends are like, Oh, why don't you ask them to send your reel? Because I'm like because in this case it's not that i'm friends because i need something it's just i rather know how their weekend went that
1: i yeah, don't know no, it's exactly in this and you know i have people that i'm in touch with professionally and we haven't hung out a bunch or whatever and that's fine but then there's all the other people that think, people in animation are cool like it's easy to be yeah. friends with a lot of them they're nice people you have a good time like um you know, people have coming over tonight. It's not for a career opportunity. We all like nerdy board games. We're going to play them. (laughs) You know, Uh, it's just what it is. And, um, but we all also like, if something pops up, yeah, we'll help each other get jobs. Yeah, we'll help each other. Yeah, uh, of course. Um, And it's really, really nice that animation is an industry where you don't have to be competitive like that. You know, it's, I was a professional drummer before I was an animator and there's only one drummer per gig. That's it. So if I get a gig, I'm not trying to help any of my drummer friends get on the gig too, because I got to eat. And I hated that dynamic where you're competitive with people you're friends with. Um, And animation is so much better in that regard. I get to help my friends and they help me. And that is how all of us get work now, you
2: know? Yeah. Um, Speaking of something a bit more technical that someone asked about, like gameplay animation, there's a bunch of questions. Um, one is, do the animators uh, team set up rules for how long the time frames for each cycle have to be, or if they are, um, hang on, I have to read what the whole sentence is. Um, if they need to extend frame limits, can they do it? Or do I have to change their animation? How does that usually work?
1: So. There's some flexibility within it, but it depends on what it is. But for the most part, there is uh, there's there's a range that you can work with that. You know, if it's too short, it'll throw things off. If it's too long, it's not to the exact frame necessarily, but you, you want it to match the feeling and responsiveness the player is going to be expecting. You know, so, and again, that's where, there's a difference in film and game animation where, um, like I was saying with like the weight shift idea, you know, as an animator, I want to be nice, like, oh, oh, you know, overshoot and sell back and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's gonna make for a really wobbly video game character. That's not, I might as an animator be satisfied with that piece of animation I made, but I just made a crappy game, you know, like that's not, I'm not proud of that, um, and and so you you've got to learn to hone, like use your skill set for what the real goals are, um, and if you do that, you are actually a better animator than someone that put in the weighty weight shift. Uh, you know, there th- that I, I think um, nice animation that hurts the project is not good, um, and, and and so that's. And I just that, you know, from experience over the years is where I've kind of gotten to that that point of, of letting go of some of that stuff and, and realizing that the things that I valued early on and don't get me wrong, if if I can put that stuff in, I absolutely will because I still, I want to get all that in there. Absolutely, but not at the cost of the overall experience. Um, so that's where there are frame ranges to work within um that that keep the game on track and keep the player experience on track because like I was saying about the spiral as soon as you do some really nice animation but it makes something clunky you've now frustrated the player they're not going to appreciate that animation you put in they're going to be pissed that their character died because they slid a little further than they want to you know whatever it is so um yeah that's how that works
2: yeah, it makes sense. So technically would all of like say um, locomotion cycles, whatever need to be the exact same frame range for each character, or it depends on- It depends on the, the character. Average.
1: So Most as, as they are developing the character, you know, um, if you've got a character that's really tiny versus one that's huge, it's gonna be different, you know, but, but it has to be consistent with what you would expect for the character and for the feel of it. So it's it's not like every single punch is 10 frames. Like it, it's, it's you know, some of that stuff will be pretty, pretty close so that it's not, you know, it depends on what it is. Like in terms of, well, even just moving forward, different characters move at different speeds. So of course their stride and their walk cycle is going to be a little different based on that. You know, all the, you know, all if it's a game that's got, you know, more, Consistency with Overwatch, the heroes are the big. I think one of the big defining factors, and the variety within them it means that each hero is going to have their own set of things. But then there's some games where it's more of a generic character, and no matter who, what you're playing, you're kind of kind of expect a similar similar movement and timing. And so then it might be more rigid. Um, but but I think again, it's just. Um, It it just really depends on the needs of the game. You know, what things will be consistent and what things will be more variable.
2: Yeah, makes sense. Um, And another technical question is, um, do you necessarily need to animate a cycle, for example, in place, or can it um, move and then go back to the original position? Um, Something, again, I have no any yeah, uh, about games so i'm just gonna what happens work. when we're going to export it uh, for unreal engine if we don't make it stay in place
1: um you need your cycle to stay in place now you can animate it initially not in place and have it move forward and then convert it into a cycle that is in place where you're using the root node to move it around. But the reason you need it to be in place is, what will happen is you animate the cycle based on the speed that the character would probably would need to be moving for the game. Um, But then you want that that forward momentum to be on the root underneath the character um, because that's what allows the player to be controlling it. Whereas if you leave the root behind and the character moves off of it, the player's controller is back here now. You know, and and the other reason for that is the hitbox for the character. So where the game views their mass as being for either getting shot or running into walls or whatever is with that root control. So um, So all of the motion in the game needs to You know, the the root is what's moving around as the player controls it. And then it's in essence firing off these cycles that are created to visually represent the locomotion of the character on top of that.
2: Yeah, makes yeah, yeah. from a programming standpoint, if nothing is where you think it is, then oh yeah, you can't control it. (laughs) So
1: and it's and it's it's also because you're gonna need to blend between all these cycles as well. And if you're blending from a cycle where on the third footstep, the character might be here and on the fourth or fifth footstep, their location is over here. Well, then you're blending them back. If you're blending from that to a punch, well, the punch is gonna be at the root, you know, if that's, and it will suddenly suck the character back. So that's where all of it needs to be uh, based around in place animation and that whatever, you know, translations and positions uh, will happen on the root.
2: Yeah, makes sense um uh, whoops oh no where are my questions they're gone in the meantime one of our friends uh who works at disney wants to know who the nerdy uh board gamers are that are coming <laughs> to uh
1: <laughs> jess morris louis jones and trevor young hey
2: okay, taylor now you know if you know them we'll, they'll we'll say that you said hi you
1: should <laughs> they're wonderful people
2: um so in terms of people want to know basically what type of shots uh, are best to apply to studios like Blizzard, like uh, shots or mostly cycles, things that are more in-game type of animations.
1: So um, I think, I mean, obviously, if you have game animation, that's great to show. Um, I did not have any uh, on my reel coming in. Um, but. You, you know, it depends on the project. So for Overwatch, it does have a little more feature-ish style to it. So being able to show, um, you know, work that has that kind of stylization, you know, Disney-esque, Pixar-esque, you know, that kind of thing. It's not as cartoony as a Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs kind of vibe or anything like that. Um, It's also really important to show work that that you have a really, a good handle on physicality. Um, so that's what VFX work is great to show for that. If you have a lot of weighty character work and that kind of thing, um, you know, um, like it's cool to show a shot of a transformer transforming, but that's not as important as a shot of a character doing heavy body mechanics kind of stuff. Um, so in a game like Overwatch, it's showing the, yeah, the mechanics and everything, but then also showing that some, some work where you can do the more feature style stylization, and if you can show good game work as well, um, there's absolutely value to that. If it's just a really generic walk cycle or run cycle, that's not gonna get you as as much as if you can get stuff that really shows personality in a cycle um, where you can push things a bit to be a little more specific. Um, You know i think um and then if you're really also wanting to get specifically into games it's not something you have to have right away i did not have this at all i'm learning it right now and it is it is a whole nother thing a whole different skill set to learn but some understanding of game engine um stuff is is definitely a benefit it's not required like right now if you're in school for animation just focus on the animation um, but if games is your ultimate goal, getting a little more comfortable with something like Unreal Engine, um, not that you have to be a straight up game designer, but if you can understand how the basics of plugging animation clips into um, an animation blend tree, who works that kind of stuff, that, that's a definite benefit um, you know, to have as well. And like I said, I did not know that stuff um, so I was cramming really hard before my interview to try and learn as much as possible. Um, and, but
2: in we, Landed, you, do you know Unreal Engine? You're,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: totally. yes. so yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I
0: was yeah, going to yeah. say, and, I, and I'll say for Unreal Engine that that's not only going to help with games in the future, like that's going to transfer to feature too because I learned Unreal Engine in the games pipeline, but that's actually helped me get jobs in feature and interviews at other feature studios that are transferring their pipeline over to unreal. Yeah, and because I'm is. very, very uh, fluent in the program. Now having that knowledge as an animator is very, very valued and the stock is going up as more studios transfer to that. It is.
1: And, and, you know, and again, it depends on the type of work you want to do. If um, you know, if if your goal is to be on the biggest high end animation you know feature films you know with any of these the the core of your skill set should be the animation skills Mm -hmm. um you know the bigger the project the more specialized your role in it will be so it depends on what you want to do if you want to do more generalist work then then spread out like that but i think in my experience thus far the thing that gives me the most career options is having a a strong animation skill set And then some of this other stuff, you know, that's why fortunately I had a demo reel that showed off enough various kind of skill sets within animation that they were comfortable I could come in and they can train me in the other things that I need. Um, You know, now I'm not gonna lie and say that's easy. Like it it is, you know, I'm I'm, but that's what I love about it. That's why I love jumping to different areas. I just, it's one more thing to learn and throw in the the tool bag. Um, And it keeps the job exciting and fun um, that, you know, what I'm doing right now does not feel routine, you know? Um, so, but that's, that's what I would really recommend is just more than anything, especially when you're in school, don't target too much. Just aim to have strong animation skills, strong fundamentals, good creative choices. Um, and I would say aim for work that, Has a foot in reality, like you can show realistic mechanics and that kind of thing, but it's stylized just a bit, you know, um, so that it's not all the way over to crazy cartoony um, and it's not just pure VFX either. If it sits somewhere where it's got elements of that, you know, in there, um, then more studios will be able to to look at your work and see that you have the potential to do what they do. Um, That's, yeah
2: that kind of goes into one question that uh someone asked like as students um what what are shots that you think recruiters are super bored because they've seen a million times or which ones are the ones that you think um are more impressed by not necessarily just recruiters but whoever is yeah checking out your (laughs) reel
1: anything that feels like an animation exercise doesn't need to go on you know, it's, and that's what the early class stuff doesn't matter both because everyone has to do it and you should be better by the end of the program than you were then. And you don't want to put anything on there that isn't your best work. Um, you know, and so I think, you know, yeah, anything that feels more like an animated, as much as possible, everything on your reel should feel like a shot. It should feel, you want it to feel like it, as close to animation that would be done on a professional project as possible, um, and so you know, I think the things that recruiters and other animators really respond to is um, you know obviously it's it, there. There is the underlying technical stuff or skill set stuff of having good weight and movement and nice polish. Um, I think the polish thing is not as important as the creative choices and then the underlying foundations of the animation being strong. If there's like a little, you know, the fingers didn't overlap as much as I'd like, that doesn't bother me as much as weight in the hips being off or creative choices that don't feel believable or aren't entertaining. Um, You know, and when I say entertaining, I don't mean big, broad, everything has to be slapstick, you know, chuckling all the time. It's just, if I want to keep watching it, it's entertaining, whatever that means, you know? So I think that's, you know, more than anything, what you're trying to sell with your demo reel is the believability that your skill set is strong enough that you can do what the studio does or that you're going to be trainable to do what they do. And, And that's your goal
2: makes sense i have a dumb question um Uh, what's (laughs) what's your like your fondest memory or like your most fun memory from when you were working at a studio pre-pandemic pre-everything oh
1: that's tough that is tough
2: slash what was the like the most fun studio most (laughs)
1: fun studio um (laughs) You know, I don't think it's so much what was the most fun studio. I, I really think of it as like the most fun crews yeah. that I've worked with, and and that changes at studios too. It's it's different at different times. A really fun period was early at Real Effects, for instance, and it was working on Freebirds, which is not in the lexicon of beloved mega hit uh, animated films, but it was a really fun time because a lot of us. For me it was my first time in feature um, and there were a lot of us that were coming in that wouldn't have been the leads and seniors if we were over at like a Disney or Pixar at the time um, because you know it, was a, it wasn't a low budget project but it was definitely lower budget than others it was a little small it felt more ragtag and we were all kind of getting thrown in the deep end together um, and It was just this really fun, you're kind of in the trenches together, figuring it out. And we would do this thing where there was, um, I don't recommend doing this necessarily, but myself and a couple of supervisors one weekend just snuck into the studio and just built a bar in the studio. Um, And we dropped way too much money on it. It was super nice. Like we built a really nice bar in the studio.
2: Do you so, have pictures of it? You need to send I them. I don't. Up?
1: I don't actually on me. I, I'm sure I could get some up somewhere. Um, but we called it Baby Jake's, which was like a side character in the movie. Um, and and then we had you know tapped beer going, and, and we would have people donate bottles every. And so then what started happening was every Friday, at like 5 p.m., we had speakers set up. We would just start blasting music, and. studio would come gather around the bar and we would have like a 150 people just at every friday hanging out around baby jake's and then we would just be having a good time and then the studio was located in an area in dallas called deep ellum and there were a bunch of restaurants and bars and stuff in the area and people wanted to drink the drink if they didn't that's cool but everybody was just hanging out having a good time so we would be playing instruments and we'd all be chatting and then we would spill out into the streets of Deep Ellum and go hit the, the restaurants and the bars. And um, it was just a really, really fun time. Um, and many of the people that were on that crew with me back then are still some of my closest friends. Uh, in fact, Jess and Louie that are coming over tonight were down there at that time, too. So, yeah,
2: that's so cool. That sounds so much fun. It was, awesome. it was great. What I work in the studio in-house? One I day? Know,
1: I know. Yeah. It's um and that's what I realized too, like with culture stuff like that. You know, when you're a junior, it's a little harder to do it because you're kind of finding your footing. But but as you've been working for a little bit, you're more comfortable, like adding positive dynamics to the work environment is a really good thing. So like um I, I learned a while back rather than trying to passively just let the studio culture be what it is. It's not that I'm going in and trying to change it, but if I can make it more fun, I will. If I can add to it, why not? And if everybody's kind of doing that, you're gonna have a really fun time, you know? Um, so that, that, was, that was a really special time, yeah.
2: That's so cool, yeah. In, in the studio that we're, I'm working at right now, uh, it's in Glasgow, I'm in London. Right now, they might be getting some people into the studio, but what they started doing was every Friday, at around five, which is stop working for a little bit, just chat and on a Zoom call, have fun, play games, and it really helps. It also helps building the team, because you get to know people way more. It's okay. way more fun trying to guess uh, whose baby picture it is than trying to like casually be like, hey, want to be friends? But right. it's like, is that you as a baby? Why are you not wearing any clothes? Why are you not wearing any clothes? What's happening? <laughs> It's like stuff like that happens when you're actually in studio with people, right? Naturally, but you just kind of have to force it. I found
1: like yeah. when you're you know, working remotely because you can create those same kind of atmosphere, it just takes a lot more work, I think. And... It does. And it's it's never going to quite be the same thing just because yeah. You, once things get rolling on your lap, you're like, oh, what was that? Sorry. Sorry. Oh, I'm interrupting. <laughs> interrupting. Oh, sorry. <laughs> right. Like It's just never going to have quite the same flow yeah. um, as in person, but you know, I've built up a lot of camaraderie already with people I work with at Blizzard remotely. So it it can be done, but, you know, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, when this is over, I'm actually probably gonna be doing a hybrid thing where I go into the studio two, three days a week and then the other ones are at home. And and I'm actually looking forward to that. That's gonna be a really nice balance. But I do want the in-person, there, there, there are relationships that get built up that way that it's hard to replicate. Yeah.
2: Yeah, right? yeah there's a certain bond in there yeah 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 plus free food sometimes
1: free food free food but man i'm old enough now that man like that free food makes me fat i, don't know, I can't <laughs> like i can't i can't have pasta for every meal come on you know <laughs> something
2: like I. Uh, something, one yeah. of my friends uh she's working at um animal logic vancouver she's like Every Thursday, there's free food. Right? I have nothing. I, I also want that. Um, a question from someone. Uh, are you teaching AM again for winter? And which course? Yeah, I've,
1: I've been teaching. I've I'm, I'm pretty much been nonstop teaching for a while now with AM. Uh, and I teach class two, which is body mechanics. Um. I've taught a few different of the classes and um, and, and really enjoyed all. But I, I really like teaching that class because I feel like getting that aspect of animation down or at least learning as much as you can of that early on sets the foundation to get the most out of the later classes. Um, and, and also, um, I like teaching students kind of earlier in the program uh, because I can impose my ideas on them uh no it's but I just think you know having I was a student there and there's a lot of stuff that I kind of wish I had known early on uh, and, and things I learned going through the program and I learned afterwards that I think if you take the right perspective you get more out of it um so so yeah I really love teaching class too
2: that's awesome yeah I think uh those are the most important classes because if not you get to some people even rush to the acting classes and they can't do a walk yeah it's, it's then, just
1: I think every you know I, and I agree like the creative aspects of animation are for me and a lot of the most fun like that that kind of coming up with ideas and doing all that I love that um but If you, you've got to build the skill set to actually be able to execute them, or it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good your idea is if you can't get it out properly. Um, And so that's why I think students really need to focus, like I said, on the skill set early on in the program and the whole way through really. um, So that when they get later in the program, when they come up with great ideas, they can do it, but also so that you're not limited in what ideas you'll go for because of what you feel comfortable with doing. That, that for me was like a real fun thing when I got to the place in animation where um, I'm coming with ideas with no consideration of what I can or can't do, you know? And there's certain things I'll be able to do better than others, but I don't think about that anymore when I'm coming up with the idea. Um, and it just, it opens up the doors for all the possibilities.
2: I never think about my limitations until I start doing it, and then I cry, like, "Oh man!" Oh
1: yeah. Oh, I'm, not so hit, <laughs> I'm not saying I don't still hit limitations, uh, but but that's the but that's also the goal too. Is like if I hit a limitation, all right, there's something to get better at, you know. Um, and it's um, I learned a while back that whenever you really start disliking your own work, um, that's usually when you're about to get better because what it means is your eye has gotten ahead of your skill set and that's the first step in getting the skill set there is you have to start seeing what's not working before you can learn to really do it you know Um, but it's depressing when you're going through it yeah yeah
2: uh so has your approach to animation or even like just to teaching changed when you started teaching at am
1: yeah i mean it's like animation you get better at it um You know, I think my intentions were pretty much the same the whole time. I've just kind of learned a little more, um, you know, what approaches seem to work better, what ways of explaining things that the students get more quickly. Um, and, and And I kind of learned, too, the things that aren't necessarily specific to a school program that are important for students to know about. So a lot of the perspective stuff we've been talking about today about the approach to take as a professional, you know, that's not really something that any school is going to put into a lecture usually, but it's important to know, you know, I, my, I, I think it's important that we're not just training artists, we're training professionals and we're training, we're training people to have a good career. And so that stuff's important, I think, um, how to manage stress and burnout, things like that, are things I didn't talk as much about early on as, as a mentor that, that we do touch on now. Because again, if you're having a long-term career, that's part of it, you know, in, in any real field, especially a creative one. So learning, you know, just kind of, those are all skills that you learn that aren't necessarily animation Skills you wouldn't think of them as that, but they're skills that are needed for having a long-term animation career. And, um, you know, and I'm not trying to scare anyone off. It's not that like, oh, you're gonna go out in animation and have a horrible life <laughs> and it's, it's not that, but it's just, you know.
2: It's a job.
1: It's a job, it's a job. And, and when your job is to be creatively on, that's a lot more mentally taxing than if your job is just required to be somewhere for a certain number of hours. Um, you, there is, there's burnout there that can happen. And, and especially as animators, we have a tendency to want to always do more and we can push ourselves into unhealthy places in doing that. So I think all that stuff's really, it's, I've just kind of learned more over the years. Um, what, what I think will help students get more out of the program and do better afterwards, um, And five, 10 years from now, I might be doing it differently than I am now based on what else I've learned. Yeah.
2: Do you see yourself teaching for a long time or? I think
1: so. Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, I can see myself down the line, like, you know, I, I think at some point I might take little breaks here and there, just like anything else, like you just need little stretches where you have some more free time to kind of relax and And, and, you know, the work-life balance, but I really enjoy teaching. Um, It's made me a better animator. It's definitely made me a better lead supervisor because you learn how to work with people in a different way and you learn how to communicate about the art form more clearly. Um, and, And in having to explain what I'm doing as an animator, it solidifies a lot of those concepts more. There's a lot of stuff I was doing without really thinking about why uh so and having to explain it you have to really it it, it's made me solidify a lot of those things and then actually get better at them because now they've become more conscious um but i could see myself someday down the road like if i get to where i'm kind of retiring so to speak like kind of transitioning over to more just teaching like I, i really i don't see that happening anytime soon but but i do i do really enjoy it yeah
2: yeah, it's really fun i would like to at some point get into it when i feel like i know enough to share um right oh. now we're doing feedback here on twitch which allows us to start getting that in and at least helping people
1: yes oh. it's like yeah. everything else you won't feel ready <laughs> you won't i you know i still have the worries of like oh man did I teach them what they needed to know did I leave anything out did I tell them anything that's not right and like you know and and you have some classes where it feels like man all the students got so much better than you have some where it's like oh man someone really struggling. and you never know like did I do something differently or what you know and, and so um yeah I started teaching well before I felt really ready for it um well it's like I got to you guys before like before this uh, started, uh, I was just telling myself, I just gotta know more than the students do, you know? Like, just gotta know more than they do. And it's partially true, um, but I am better at it now than I was, you know? So uh, don't, don't totally wait till you're ready. <laughs> like if the schools are willing to hire you to teach, then you're ready to teach.
2: That's a good point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, someone asked, uh, what do you think is the most productive hobby as an animator? And my question would be, what's your favorite hobby? Favorite hobby? Yeah.
1: So, the most productive hobby as an animator? Yeah. Um, I'm going to be really honest. I think one of the most productive things an animator can do is to just take some time off from using that part of your brain. It's really important. It's really important. This, like a career is a years and years, decades long marathon. So, um, you know, I think early on, of course, all the, the normal you know, figure drawing is great. And learning about filmmaking in general is great. Um, that those all make you a stronger animator. Um, but my anime, or my hobbies have nothing to do with being a better animator. They really don't. They they have to do with me enjoying myself. Um, So I love music. I love watching movies. I love cooking, hanging out with friends, board games. Like it's just really, um, when I'm working, I'm working. And when I'm not, I'm not. And it makes me better on the job because when I go to work, I'm on, I'm ready to do it. I'm awake, I'm not exhausted. Um, so, you know, I, and when I have lulls in work or if I have gaps in time off, then I will do things. Like I still take classes every once in a while. I've gone and taken, you know, online classes and it's weird because it's, you know, like me and a bunch of students and they're sometimes like, what are you doing here? Um, you know, but I learn a ton. I go take a class and something I'm not good at or something I haven't learned yet. And, um, or something I just want to improve on um so I'll still do that you know every couple of years I take a different class of some kind um but that's I only do that if I have the time like if I'm working a full-time job I'm not going to do that now as well in my 20s maybe I had the energy for that 37 now like dude needs to sleep you know like that's just what it is I was Uh, just
2: thinking that because um a lot of my friends are in their early 20s um Daniel Madison two of them And I see them having so much energy and doing everything. And I'm in my mid-30s. And to be honest, I appreciate other things as well as like, yeah, I like animation. I also like, I don't know, discovering the city that I'm living in, (laughs) doing other things. Yeah, living life. And um, I think that's something that I see a lot with my younger friends that they, like, it's great. They are super active and they're totally. on that race and fantastic they're gonna get far really quickly i'm appreciating other things too.
1: it's well i think too it's just a matter of like it, internally like i don't feel like i'm any different than i was when i was 24 really um it's just you know stuff doesn't work as well anymore <laughs> it just doesn't you know like like yeah i'd still be going out all hours of the night and doing all that kind of stuff if i didn't feel terrible after doing it for a couple of days. Um, I
2: need my sleep.
1: Yeah, exactly. I need to sleep. Right? I don't work well, and I'm certainly not as nice uh, a person to be around. Like, I get grumpy, you know, like it's not, it's just not good. Um, so, I think, you know, um, and that work life balance thing becomes more important as you get older. And, and, but I think there's a real value to like the energy and the intensity you have when you're younger, too. That's, that's, I mean, use that, build that skill set, build that career. You know, but even if you're in your early 20s now, we're talking about you like you're a child or something. Like I said, I feel like they're a, all
2: babies. <laughs>
1: I feel like a 24 year old that just looks too old. That's what I feel like, you know, but, um, you know, but it's, you know, it's always painful. And I'm out and about and I'm like a 22 year old looks at me like a dad. It's just painful, but it happens it's where we're at in life.
0: Dude,
2: um, whenever someone uh, like on TikTok, they're like, this is the music our parents used to listen to and it's something from the early 2000s. I know. What? What? <laughs> no, no, no.
1: I know. That's where it's like I realized a while back that like, when people talk about the 90s, it's like when my age group would talk about the 60s. It's the same time difference. I'm like, oh. It's horrible. Right? <laughs> from
0: the
1: 1900s, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. So It's... Uh, um, it's, it's uh, yeah, it was just one of those things that if you think about when you were like a teenager, like I was a teenager who was super into music and it was so intense. Like I loved the bands that I was into and that other music was garbage, you know? And I was just like, you know, and it's like, so that level of intensity just tapers off as you get older and there's good and bad things to that. Like I'll never love any music as much as I did when I was 16. I just won't. But I get to enjoy a lot more music now because my identity is not wrapped up in what music I'm playing to. You know, it's like, you just, there there are benefits to both sides of it. Um, And I miss the energy that I had when I was young. I'm not dead yet, I still got plenty of energy. (laughs) Like, you know, I can't live on Taco Bell and Mountain Dew and I have to sleep. That's, you know, that's just what it is now. Um, And, you know, but I think those lessons too, it's like, I think for everybody, Take care of yourself and you'll have a better career. Even when I was, there was, in my 20s, I did push it too hard. And I did, if I had been getting enough sleep and a big one for me now is like some kind of exercise every day. Even if it's going for like a, a walk for 10 minutes, whatever it is, those are two things now. And, and then not eating like total garbage, um, you know? Those things, yep. yeah, I learned Like managing crunch time stress talking about burnout those things if you're not doing those things you will you will burn out you will you will peter off before the end of a project and you will perform worse so take care of yourself get enough sleep and exercise and even though you feel like oh i should be putting more time in right now you're still putting in plenty of hours but you will still be able to perform all the way to the end of the project and then if you have really crunched hard, try to take just a little time off. And you will go, because if, if not, each project will get progressively less productive. Um, and in the stress of feeling like you should do more,
0: you're actually setting yourself up to do less. I, wasn't and I think interested. a lot of that oh, for like um, younger people is not only knowing it, but knowing how to implement it. Yeah. Because like, I mean, for me, like this is my first time working 45 hour weeks consistently. And so I'm now having to take that knowledge that I've been told by other people on how to implement it of, I get done with my workday because I'm working more previs, so it's not as much animation. I still Mm -hmm. want to animate after work, but having to manage like, okay, how much is too much? What am I going to do after hours? Is this going to damage my value to my employer doing previs, trying to, juggle all of those things it 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 takes knowing it and understanding it but also implementing it which takes just i think experience
1: and it's different for every person
0: you know like
1: i mean really if if you feel like doing it do it but if you find that you're going to work exhausted not firing all cylinders and your stress level isn't good it's too much you know but if you're doing it and you don't feel that way cool you know like i mean it's just it's just you got to kind of listen to your body and listen to how you're feeling and um just self-assess you know from time to time and if you can do that you'll you'll be all right and there's some people that can can really go intensely at it and do great and then there's people like myself you know i have adhd that limits my mental focus i have you know i have to take care of myself or i won't perform well um And that's cool. And once I really accepted that and stopped trying to do things the way everyone else did, I perform better now, you know? Um, And so in knowing your own limitations, um, you can actually do better than when you're trying to not pay attention to those things, you know? Um, But again, that's just, I don't know, if you're 22, just go for it, you'll be fine. You know, (laughs) you'll be fine, Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, take advantage of the energy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we have a um, question more related to um, any new technology that you use at Blizzard that you didn't have in other studios. I, not
1: really. I mean, it's all similar tools in different places. I mean, I'm working with game engine stuff now, so that's all new to me. Um, and it is its own technology, but... I. I think I always had this idea that I would go to a studio and like, oh my God, it's the future, um, you know, <laughs> and there'd be magical, crazy tools um, and there's cool stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's nice, but more than anything, what they have is like teams there to support you so that if a tool, yeah, you know, and Blizzard, one thing they really do have is they have a lot of programmers and they have a lot of engineers. and So if there's a tool that you need, they can get it done. And if there's features you need on it, tool, so they can get it. And I'm not used to that necessarily. Like I'll be working on something and I'll have like weekly meetings where like, you know, I'll be like, yeah, it's kind of tough because I can't really do that. Oh, okay, well, uh, give us two days. I'm like, You're gonna, really? You're gonna go do that? <laughs> like what? Um, so that's awesome. But at this point, you know, there's, you know, there's great tool packages available online. Like AnimBot is awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, and a lot
2: of studios are using it.
1: Yeah, we're using it at Blizzard. You know, I mean, we've got our own proprietary tools as well. But it—it's really not that you're going to go to a particular studio. Yes, each the you know, big, big studios will have one or two tools that maybe they don't have elsewhere. They will in a couple of years, though. Like it's—it's it's just one of those things that that's. Um, I, I don't know. I think too much emphasis gets placed on that stuff. And it really comes down to having the right people and setting up the process the right way. And that's that's really what gets the best results. You need the tools to help that out, but there's not a massive difference. Once you get into a place that has a budget, they're gonna have the tools. Um, and, and at that point, you're kind of arguing about who has the fanciest pencil to draw with, you know? <laughs> Um, but if you can't draw, it doesn't really matter. Um, so that's, and, and if you don't, it, it, that's what I mean, is the structure of how the studio runs things, how the workflow, the pipeline goes, and, and then having the right artists and production people and teams in place, that, that's really what more determines the quality at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, and a pipeline that isn't super slow.
1: Oh, you'd be surprised. I mean, Blizzard's great, but I've worked at... I've worked on some very high-budget projects that where the technology was not firing on all cylinders. Like, you would be... I'm not going to name names, but you would be shocked. I've worked on the biggest of the big. I worked on one of the biggest projects out there and some of the main characters did not have foot roll. Oh, my God. Yes. I'm talking big <laughs> All right, doesn't get any bigger, you know? So you wow. just never know. And again, what saves the day is teams of people that know what they're doing and make it look like there was foot roll, um, you know? So just, I, I, again, I think all that stuff's cool and it's fun to see the new tools and all that, um, you know? And they're, they're certainly helpful when they're great, um, but there's a lot of work that gets done at major studios with tools that would surprise you sometimes too, <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, I, I've been through a little bit of that and it's all a lie. Yeah. You don't, you don't get what people think you get. I, I remember when we were working for DreamWorks, we were not DreamWorks, and our um, head of animation was at DreamWorks. And it's like, don't you guys have this? No. Oh, but can't you do this? No. No, we can't. We have to manage somehow. <laughs> We're very limited. Yeah,
1: no, you, but, you don't, you'd be surprised, you know.
2: Yeah, we make it work however yeah. we can. Yeah, yeah. It's, um,
1: and sometimes those projects are fun. Like, it's it's fun to feel a little ragtag sometimes.
2: As lo- yeah, I think for me, is as long as the team is good and people treat you nicely. Because I, I have friends who are in places that are they are not having a good time I'm like oh my team is amazing (laughs) I always have a good time with everyone everyone treats me well so there's like that part of the stress is out and that makes my day way better
1: I think that's the biggest factor in whether I enjoy jobs or not is the people that I work with that is that is uh, you know at the end of the day I, I don't pick projects anymore based on like Ooh, that's going to be huge ooh, everyone, ooh, you know all that kind of stuff it's more of like does does the work atmosphere feel like somewhere that i'm going to enjoy working um and you know and for me now it's a lot of it too is a little bit of the work-life balance um kind of stuff um and, and i do want to do work that i find interesting and challenging but my good memories of projects are based on the people I worked with.
2: Yeah. Would
0: Would there be one project though, past, present, or future that you would have to be like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna drop everything and work on this because it's so cool. Like something that made a big impact on you as a kid or just just some project that you'd be like, oh, I I would love to work on that.
1: Man, you know what's funny is, um, and I hate to say, I'm probably gonna have to bounce in a little bit, unfortunately. I hate, I, hate to, I hate to do that.
2: We're uh, pretty much done with questions. So.
1: I mean, if there's anything else, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah.
2: No, but, no, we're good. Uh,
1: I got to I gotta clean up the house before people come over for board games, unfortunately. We already
2: so, stole a lot of your time and knowledge. Thank no, you. you didn't
1: steal a thing. No, I, I'm actually <laughs> disappointed. Like, this has been flying by. I'm like, whoa, it's already been two hours. Uh, no, I, I mean, I always love chatting animation. It's super fun. I'll happily come back sometime if you're passing. Um, but it's... Um, yeah, so uh projects I I actually actively have avoided some projects because I was too much of a fan of them so like I've turned down working on Star Wars films um even when I was at ILM I didn't leave the studio. I was like no no like when Force Awakens was happening you know it was the first big Star Wars coming back. I was like no don't me on that and they were (laughs) going to and I was like because if I work on it I don't get to go to the movie theater and watch it the same way that I would as a fan and so I just I didn't want to work on that one you know um Jurassic World it was a little different because for me Jurassic World it's not as much like the story matters but it's just it's about seeing awesome dinosaurs that's what it's about for me and then I get to go play with those awesome dinosaurs yeah (laughs) you know so it depends on the project a little bit um you know so it's If it's something I really want to experience as a fan, then I actually don't, it depends. Like a video game, it feels different because you're playing a video game. It's not, but if it's like a story I want to experience, I don't really want to work on it anymore. Um, If I had to go back and have a project that I could do again for the work experience, and also I'd love to do it now that I have more experience, it would probably be Rango. Um, that was a really special project to be a part of. It just felt super unique. Um, and that was another time where, like, the crew, the energy of the crew was so great. Um, it was the first of my limited uh, full animated feature. So there was just this, like, it was a real passion project for everyone. Um, and, and, you know, I can absolutely see someone loving or hating that feel, film. It's a weird one. But... As an animator, it was just so much fun to work on that. So that that was a really special um, project to be a part of. If I could go back and like kind of like, hey, we're just gonna redo Rango. You want to be a part? of Yeah, I'll do that again. <laughs> um, and I would love to. I would love to do that now that you know I've got a lot more experience under my belt. I think it would be even cooler to take on that project now. Nice.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think. Um... We can let you go because those were. I know our... I hate to do oh, this, I really am No, it. Yeah. like we can have you in like in the future. Cool. Don't worry. When you oh, redo yeah. Rango, you can come back. <laughs> right? right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll talk to the money people. See how that goes. Uh, you
2: have all the contacts now. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. You.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, people just open their wallets for me. Sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: Yeah, thank you so much. This was super cool, and as always, super uh, packed with knowledge.
1: Well, I, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm hopefully I, uh, you know, fooled you all and sound a little smarter than I am, but you know, uh, no, I really appreciate you having me. It's it's really fun for me too because, um, you know, like anything else, talking with people and staying in touch with people that are getting into this and learning about it. Um, it helps you stay excited and not take it for granted and realize like how how cool it really is to be able to be a part of all this. Um, and like I tell my students to, to you guys or anyone else that's listening, like remember I was cool when I needed a job. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll help each other out. It'll be great.
0: Yeah, um, but cool. no,
1: it's it's super fun. And like, Sam and I have already worked together, uh, and and Madison, Daniel. I'm sure we will be at some point as well. It's just a small industry um and to anyone that, that listened to this as well it's 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 just one of those things we're all going to cross paths and uh if you see me at ctn uh you know i live down the road so i'll be there hop on over and say hello yeah
2: well we can go once again yeah once, once the
1: world turns on again um, yeah <laughs> I, I can't wait that i'm looking forward to the animation get together this once, once it's a little more normal again
2: yeah Hundred percent.
0: Gonna be good.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's everything for now. So thank you, everyone, for joining. Uh, thank you, Travis, for being here. And yeah, um, join us this week for more feedback sessions. Thank you, everyone. Thank Bye,
0: you guys. Bye.